Well, I didn't have this scripted, friends, but uh, it's just really been laid on my heart. Uh, As we are sharing together in our service right now, uh, I just want to encourage our church family to be in prayer for our senior pastor, Scott, and his wife, Debbie. Uh, Yesterday, Scott uh, buried his mom along with his family, and so they've been in challenging days, and I would encourage us as a church family to be in prayer for them and loving them and supporting them as the Holy Spirit leads us to do. And uh, to just be, you know, I'd say it's so appropriate for us to be reaching out and uh, and just giving them our condolences and our wishes and our blessings as the Holy Spirit leads us to moving forward. Uh, Why don't I just take a moment to pray right now for our leader and then we can get into our message. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life, and we thank you for the promise of eternity. And this morning, Lord Jesus, we mourn with the Dixon family at the passing of Marlene, and we just pray for your comfort and your peace to come upon them in a mighty way. We rejoice in the truth and the reality that Marlene is sitting at your great banqueting table and rejoicing at your feet. And Father, for us in seasons like this, seasons of loss, it gives us great hope. And so, Lord Jesus, would you bless them with journeying mercies as they, at the Dixons as they come home today? And would you just be them, be with them moving forward, being ever so present, ever so caring, and, uh, and would you just hold them and bless them and comfort them in Jesus' name. Amen. George was, by all accounts, a glass-half-full kind of a guy. Uh, he was a leader in our church, and he was a businessman in the community who had been uh, quite successful. Uh, but this new idea was a game-changer. It had the opportunity or, or it had the ability to really change the reality of many lives should it have moved forward. Uh, George had discovered this product uh, in, in the home-building world, and if he'd been able to move the ball down the field, it would have powerfully affected probably many homes in Western Canada. But George ran into the perfect storm. It was 2008, almost 12 years ago to the day uh, when this story was taking place, and, and it seemed to be that every time George tried to move the ball down the field, he would run into a roadblock or into a wall of some sort. And so when it came to finding a production facility, George ran into a wall. When it came to getting the right labor, George ran into a wall. When it came to investors, George ran into the, uh, you know, the economic recession or collapse in 2008. He ran into a wall. When it came to getting permits, yet another wall. And yet it seemed to be that time after time, as George tried to uh, move the ball forward, as he tried these different things, he was just a man that could see that if we could just get over this next hump, was his famous saying, this is really going to go. And yet that wasn't the case. He'd come through the office and just eternally optimistic. And we just stood in awe of, of this man, like, amazing that he would continue to have the faith to move forward even after getting rejected or after getting slowed down so many times. But then December hit, and I'll never forget being in a grocery store in our community, and I ran into George. And I just greeted him, and as he looked at me, uh, his shoulders were slouched. And he just, for the first time that I could remember, he didn't look at me and didn't look me in the face, but instead he just kept his eyes on the ground. And I knew something had changed. In the days following, as we come to church and as different ones had interacted with him, uh, people just started to notice that that George, his demeanor had changed and that things weren't going well. Word came out that um, family was starting to 
help George financially because of the challenge that he was facing. You can imagine with no money being invested or no revenue coming in from the product, there was no ability to pay salaries. And, you know, it was just George and, and one or two other people working at this project. And so with no revenue coming in at this time of year, you can imagine the stressors that he was feeling as we approached the Christmas, uh, Christmas morning and in being a family man. About that time of year, about this time of year, our church used to do something amazing in the community. We'd hand out Christmas hampers. And these were really significant. They were huge banana boxes that uh, we as a church would gather food for and gifts and we'd put together and we'd identify families in our community. And then around, around the 18th, 19th, or 20th of the month, uh, I would gather up the students in our church and we would go deliver these hampers to worthy families in our community. It was amazing. Amazing to show up on someone's doorstep, and we'd call them ahead to say we were coming, but to show up and to present these gifts and to bless families and, and individuals in our community who are hurting through the Christmas season. Well, the opportunity came in 2008, and it was a significant year because of what was happening in, in the economy and what was happening globally. And so there were many names on our list, but we recognized the opportunity that we needed to reach out to George and his family and really bless them this holiday season because of what they'd been against. But because he was a leader in our church, I also recognized that maybe uh, this one needed to be delivered a little differently. And so we delivered a number of hampers, and then I dropped the students off back at the church, and I put George's boxes into our church van, which so many of us have been familiar with through the years, and I drove up to George's house up the hill. And when I arrived, it was the perfect December evening, sort of like last night. It was cool, the moon was out, the stars were shining, there was a crispness in the air, and I started to take uh, these boxes, three or four of them up to the door. And as I carried the last box, I remember, I can picture it clearly in my mind, the snow crunching under my feet and thinking to myself, the Lord has set the stage perfectly for this. I knocked on the door and there was a lump in my throat and a, and a knot above my stomach, which is a sign in my life that I'm carrying some stress, but I was nervous. I was nervous about, about what this was going to go down like because we hadn't called George ahead to give him the warning. We just wanted to bless our brother and his family. And as I knocked at the door, I saw it open, and there was a man who was broken. His shoulders, again, were slouched over. He kind of looked down, and he said, yes, and he looked up, and there he saw me, and tears filled his eyes. A very, very powerful moment, friends. And I said to him, I said, George, God has laid you on the heart of our church. And he just said, he knew because he'd been a part of it before. He said, no, we don't need it. I said, George, take the gift. We want to bless you. And as he reached out his arms and he started to carry these boxes into his home, he cried and I cried. And I remember stopping at the end of it and together I said, can I just pray for you? His family was in another part of the house. It was a very quiet, serene moment, and we prayed together, and he looked up at me, and for the first time in weeks, I saw hope in the eyes of my brother again. Friends, this morning, we're starting a, a new series as we journey towards Christmas morning or Christmas Eve called Unexpected, and the impetus of this series is to consider the gifts that Jesus gives to us in a season and in a world where everything is changing around us. These are exceptional days, and yet they're not defeated days. And in the midst of this, Jesus is giving us gifts, and we're going to celebrate them this year um, through the auspice of Advent. 
that as we celebrate these gifts, we're going to learn and understand how we can embrace the gifts of this season and how we can live with hope and love and peace and joy despite the difficult circumstances that are around us. And so if you have your Bibles or your devices, I would encourage you to open them up and follow along with me. If you're following online this morning, we want to greet you and welcome you and just uh, let you know that there's a tab on your page that you can select uh, where you can follow along with the online Bible there. And turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read from verses 8 to 20 and read through this together. And as we do, I would invite you to consider this question. If you're online, I would uh, encourage you and invite you to answer this in the online chat forum that's there. If you're here in person, maybe turn to the person next to you and respond to this. But what gives you hope? Think about that as we're going through this. What gives you hope? And then let's unpack this together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. I would encourage you and invite you to follow along with me. Let's read together the word of God. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising, uh, with the angel, uh, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them they'd gone into and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all these things that had been heard and seen, which were just as they had been told long ago. You know, if you and I were sitting in a coffee shop from a, a year ago from today, and I asked the question, what's this next year going to look like for you? I bet we never would have guessed that it would have panned out like it has. And while life has looked very different, success or thriving um, as God's kids has meant that we've had to develop some strategies and some rhythms in our life that have helped us to learn to cope through this season. And this was one of the realities that these shepherds were working with and what, one of the realities that these shepherds um, used day in and day out as they lived in difficult circumstances in a difficult time. These were not well-to-do, prosperous people. These were people who struggled in life. And yet, the, for these shepherds, their strategy would have been to understand and to work with regular, and, and to work regularly with the hope that was not built upon the circumstances of their lives, but rather on the God-given identity of who they were in relation to their king. As I said, these were not uh, people who lived in the triumph of prosperity or the ease of riches. No, these were people who lived in a constant, changing, difficult reality. Scholars tell us that the type of sheep that they would have raised gave birth to their young in the late fall or in the early parts of winter, which gives credence to, or it speaks to, uh, why we celebrate Christmas when we do. 
It was about this time of year that these shepherds were tending to their flocks at night in the midst of the cold and the muck and the mire of the wilderness around Jerusalem. They found themselves. It was cold. It was miserable. They would have had their belongings upon their shoulders. They would have carried a light sack with their possessions, and they would have, they would have slept amongst the filth and the... And the, the um, the, the filth of those, of those animals. Sheep, animals that aren't particularly intelligent, animals that needed constant care, animals who are stinky and smelly and messy and, and, and needy. And as the culture around them looked at them, they didn't see them as, as righteous people. They didn't see them as people who were victorious, but rather they saw them as the lowest of the low. They saw them as people who lived in the midst of brokenness, in the, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggle. And yet while looking down upon them and as culturally shameful as they were, it's notable that God came first to the simple people of the field before he revealed himself to the rest of humanity. And it's from this perspective and this understanding, friends, that I think we have to understand one of the foundational pieces of the work of God in our lives. And it's that God loves to, he promises to us throughout scripture that he loves to come to the brokenhearted. He loves to tend to the wounds of the weary. He loves to step into the midst of brokenness. And in doing so, he, he gives to us hope and he gives to us promise that, that he is going to work and bring to us a changed perspective and a changed reality, both spiritually and oftentimes physically, that will lead us forward through challenging days. These were people who understand, who understood the promises of God. And when they received word that God had come in the flesh uh, into their world, they, they stood up and they leapt out to go and sit at the feet of Jesus. They were people who had heard uh, different promises uh, about God and, and had heard different promises from God through their lives. And in those promises... They found hope to move forward and hope to stand up. And so as we look at this, uh, I think one of the first things that we need to do to find hope in a world that's constantly changing or a world that's changed profoundly around us is that we have to rest in the promises of who God is and how he says he's going to work in our lives. And I want to suggest to us today that there's no greater place to find hope than the word of God. There's no greater place to understand the promises of God than to turn to his word and to rest in it and to find strength in it. And for the sake of this morning and very practically, I would suggest to us that in this season, as we're struggling and as we're suffering, one of the best places that we can start is in the book of Psalms. When David is sitting at the end of the tunnel and he's being pursued and chased and and and. It looks like his life is on the line. What changes, what, what perspective changes in him is when he's sitting at the, end of the at the end of the tunnel, he sees the light in Psalm 118. And as broken down and as frustrated and as discouraged as he is, as he sees the light at that end of the tunnel, he speaks these words. He says, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. What gave to David uh, promise and hope uh, was that God works in the hearts of broken people. And so in Psalm 91, he speaks words of, of, uh, of promise, of being lifted up, of being transformed, of God working in his life, and God mending in his life. 
And then Psalm 147, which God laid upon my heart this week, becomes extremely important in challenging days. Listen to these words that, that, um, that, that are given to us. Psalm 147, it says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel, people who are scattered away, people who are living in broken parts of our world. He gathers them up, and then it says, He heals up the brokenhearted, and He binds up their wounds. In verse 6, it says, The Lord sustains the humble. He strengthens. He grants peace. He sustains. He blesses. He cares. He gives. He's done for no other nation because they do not know his laws. But for the ones that know his laws, for the ones that know his truth and his promise, and I'll say for us now, for the ones that know the gospel realities of the work of Jesus in our lives, he does these things and he seeds into our hearts hope. And he gives to the shepherds and he gives to us a changed perspective despite the realities that's going on around us. And he lifts us. Oh, friends, the first thing that we have to understand, that we have to practice as people who long to find hope in this season is that we have to rest in the eternal truths of the word of God, the inerrant scriptures, the God-breathed word given to us in a work by the Holy Spirit that we hold before us here today. Because as we understand these truths, it will lift us and it will give us hope. Listen to the words of Romans 5.35. It says, Rejoice in our sufferings because we are people of hope. This is our reality and it's also our identity. And it's the foundation of what God is doing in us to build Hope, not on our circumstances, but in our identity as people who are his. We'll have to confess to us that, you know, last Tuesday, when the latest set of guidelines came out, I really found it difficult to work with. I was at home. We were supposed to be away in Fairmont as a family uh, at my parents' timeshare, and that got canceled. Uh, and then we were going to go up to Airdrie to visit some dear friends of ours. That got canceled, and I remember standing in our kitchen. I still took the week off work. I was at home with my family, and I remember standing in our kitchen, and the TV was on, and we were waiting this next round of announcements that was going to shape what life was going to look like to come. And in front of me, literally, you can imagine, the TV's up on the wall, my kids are there, Ralna, my wife, is there, and I'm, I'm, we're hearing the words of Jason Kenny. and as he tells us this later round of restrictions, it hit me like a ton of bricks, right between the eyes. Instantly, I felt a lump form in my throat. There was a ball of stress that I carry uh, around sometimes, and I'm really stressed out, that formed over my stomach, and I felt like I could break down at any moment. I was broken. Because I realized that life was going to look very different moving forward for our family. The two oldest kids would be at home. There was going to be more restrictions. Christmas could be affected. There was all of these things. And I wasn't necessarily mad. I was just brokenhearted. And I remember looking out at my family and thinking, I have to be strong. I have to hold us up. And I don't. I know that Jesus does that for us. But it hit me. The next day, the devil attacked me like he hasn't done for a long time. And I felt defeated and I felt discouraged. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't sleep well that night. But as I got up the next morning, we, were, uh, we had to head up to Calgary to do some errands and pick up some things. And throughout the day, uh, we just 
played music in the car and sang along to it. And at one point early in our journey, a song came on the radio that wasn't just, you know, a cultural fun Christmas song. And I love those songs. I was singing some yesterday. They lift me up. But it was like a traditional Christmas carol, a hymn declaring Jesus. And I entered into a time of worship, and it blew me away. It blew me away at how all of a sudden my spirit lifted, my perspective changed. And as I drew into the presence of Jesus on a short road trip to Calgary, how that weight lifted off of my shoulders almost instantly. Isn't it interesting that in the life of the shepherds, that despite difficult life circumstances, when they came and found Jesus, they found themselves in awe, in a posture of worship in verses 16 to 18. And as they are in this posture of worship, what does it say in verse 16? It says they hurried off. They found Mary, and then they went out from that place, and they shared with others the things that they had experienced and the things that they had seen. A posture of worship is essential, friends, if we're going to find hope. A posture of coming to the feet of Jesus and sitting there and allowing him to minister to our hearts and our souls is essential if we're going to be people of hope. And this posture is important as we face challenges over and over and over. And as we desire to be people who move forward and shine a light for Jesus. I want to take us back to Psalm 147 for a moment. And I want us to consider verse 12. It says, it calls on us to extol the Lord and to praise God. And then in the very next verse, it talks about strengthening and blessing. Not just individually, but corporately too. And I believe that, that there's a direct correlation between hope and strength and worship and gathering. The two go hand in hand together. And as people who want to develop a strategy to be hope-filled through difficult times, we have to practice these day in and day out through times like this. I think back through the years, as we've gone through difficult times or, or challenging circumstances, I think back to where, where our kids were sick or we had challenges in our jobs or, or pressing workloads or expectations or we had financial hardships and we could go on and on and on. When it felt like we were defeated, so often when we came to the feet of Jesus and rested there, and literally raised our hands and praised him, we felt like we could touch hope again. And I've found, friends, in this season that even when it feels like it's crushing, the words of Scripture and these songs that remind us of, of who God is and how he works in our lives have carried me in renewed and profound ways much more than when I struggle on my own. Coming to Jesus is exactly the posture we see in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, where it says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to one last thing, and I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, but I want to mention this here too. As hope-filled people, when we do as the shepherds did, and we come and sit at the feet of Jesus, and then we step out, and we share that hope with others. We share our encounter with others. We share our experience of Jesus with others. When we pass that forward, in some traditions we could call it passing the peace. When we pass that peace forward, when we pass that hope forward, it not only will lift us and give us hope, but it will bring us to places of overflowing hope 
that will shine the light of Christ, which I believe is, is meant to be and, meant to, and what we're meant to do in this season. And when we are overflowing by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a responsibility on our shoulders. There's, a, there's an impetus in the Christian life to share that with others, not just in our own times of worship, but in the community as well. Friends, if we, the second promise that we want to hold on to is that if we want to find hope in this season, then we have to come into the presence of Jesus. And it's so critically important that we come together on mornings like this, whether we're online or we're in person. It's so critically important that we come together corporately. Yes, coming to Jesus individually is critical, and we need to do that daily in all different aspects of our day. But coming together corporately, friends, well, friends, it lifts us and it seeds into us joy, but not just into us, into others as well. Well, this passage ends with a beautiful picture of people with peace in their hearts. And as, as it says in uh, verses uh, 19 and 20, that as Mary pondered these things in her heart, she treasured them. And then it says, and the shepherds uh, returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had seen and heard, which was just as they'd been told long ago. What we're seeing here is a picture of peace. That Jesus has done something in them. Not, not, he hasn't necessarily changed the circumstances around them, but he's given them a peace, and he's given them a, a hope-filled peace that will help them to move forward in a changed way. And what they've done is they've experienced what what the, the Bible told us, what the prophets had foretold they'd, long ago. They'd, they'd actually experienced the, the, the work of Jesus. It had come true in their lives. And in doing so, it brought them peace. And you know, in this season, I think this is something that we can always experience. And, and, and one of the things, one of the ways that we can do that is to go back to the Old Testament and look at what they said Jesus would be long ago. Look at the prophecies in Isaiah. Look at the names given to Jesus. Look at, these, look at what they said, or, or look at who they said was coming. And then realize that as we journey through this season and we experience the fingerprints of Jesus all over and all through our lives, that it actually has come true. That the word is, is accurate, that it's inerrant, that, it is, it, it, that we experience what, uh, what it said Jesus was going to be and who it said Jesus was going to be, and we can find strength and hope in that. This week uh, on Friday, I went through and just looked at the name of Jesus, and I stood in awe. Actually, I entered into a time of worship as I practically realized that, that history was accurate and that the Bible was true. Listen to these names that they gave to our king and allow it to lift you, allow it to seed hope into your heart. He is the almighty one. He's our advocate. He's our authority. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the deliverer. He's faithful and he's true. He's the good shepherd. He's the head of the church. He is God with us, Emmanuel. He's the indescribable gift. He's the lamb of God. He's the light of the world. He's our mediator. He's the one who set us free. He's our hope. He's our peace. He's our rock and our redeemer. He is the supreme creator over all. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is our living Lord friends. And this isn't just a hope from many years ago. This is the practical reality of what we experience in Jesus here today.
And in knowing that and in experiencing that in seasons like this, seasons of struggle, seasons of weariness, seasons of brokenness, seasons of strife, we have peace as hope-filled people because Jesus is our king and he is the victor and he is the true God. And so it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. As hope-filled people, when we rest in the promise and when we rest in his presence and now as we experience his peace, we get lifted and we get touched in difficult times and we get filled with hope because that's what Jesus wanted us to know in this season and that's what we experience when we come to him. So saying before, one of the, 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 the assumptions of this passage is that these, these shepherds didn't just go that one time and share with others you know, what Jesus had done and, and that just little group stood in awe in Bethlehem. No, these shepherds would have gone from this place, scholars say, and continued to share the peace of Jesus. They continued to share what they had experienced in the presence of Jesus. They continued to encourage people to rely on and live in the promise of Jesus and all who experienced it were in awe. And if that's the, 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 the assumption of this passage moving forward, it becomes the assumption of our life and the Christian life here today. That as people who experience the peace and the presence and the promise of Jesus, we too will pass it forward to others around us. Because it changes us and it fills us with hope. And you know, historically in this season, we have beautiful opportunities to do this. We gather for meals, we give gifts, we, we go out and we sing and we gather together. And, and this year, it's not quite the same. But friends, hear me when I say it's not destroyed, it's just a little bit different. We still have opportunities to pass the peace of Christ moving forward. And I want to suggest to us that very practically, one of the ways that we can do that, even here today, is to invite people to gather with us at church. Pastor Brian's going to come in a moment um, after we light the Advent candle and talk more about how we're going to gather in coming days, but I would encourage us to consider passing the peace moving forward by inviting people to our Christmas Eve service. For those of you who are live here today, there's invitations that are going to be out at the information desk in the foyer, and we would encourage you to pick one up and to pass it forward. For those of us who are online this morning, uh, there's going to be digital invitations that are going to go out on social media and through emails in the days to come. Use these things. Use these tools to invite people into the peace and the hope of Jesus in an amazing season like this. Yes, these times have changed. Yes, our world is different. Yes, there are restrictions and guidelines that we have to live by. But we're not, it doesn't mean that the season or the message is destroyed. It just comes in a different way. And perhaps the reality is that now and moving forward, there are fresh opportunities to invite people to come and sit at the table of Jesus and to experience his hope and his blessing and his peace that never would have come had we not entered into this time. So invite those around you and use the tools that are available and let's stand in awe and let's stand in hope of what Jesus is going to do. I'll never forget leaving George's house 12 years ago. As I left his home, it was just by myself. 
Um, and and I, I left and drove back down the hill towards the church, and I remember reaching out and praising God, just calling out. For me, practically, that just looks like me talking like this in the vehicle. Nobody else is around. Sometimes I hold up my phone so it looks like I'm doing something and not crazy talking to myself. But practically that night, with tears streaming down my face, I praised God. And I found hope, not just hope for George, but hope for my own life as well. Last night as I came to the church to practice this message on the way home, uh, I found hope too in just praising God. And as I was driving home, I put a, a song onto my phone and I cranked it in our truck. In fact, I didn't even go straight home. I had to drive a couple of laps around the neighborhood so I could just uh, embrace and enjoy the moment of, of worshiping Jesus. And it lifted me, friends. This is a difficult time, but it's a time where we can find incredible hope. And as we do, I want to invite you to come to the feet of Jesus and, 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 and just worship him there. Embrace his promises there. Bask in his presence there and find his peace there. As we conclude our service, we want to conclude with our Advent moment. And from this week moving forward, we're going to do this weekly. And it's going to look a little different each week. But for the sake of this morning, I want us to consider the candle of hope. Advent is a time in our lives where we, uh, where we, where we light candles, where we um, do different activities, where we read scripture together, and where we prepare our hearts for the birth of Christ. And in doing so, uh, there are uh, candles that we're going to light each week, the candle of hope, the candle of love, the candle of joy, and the candle of peace. And as we light these candles, we believe that hope from Jesus has been called an anchor for our soul and is something, as we've just finished talking about, is deep within us and secures us through the storms of life. It's a part of our identity with the work of Jesus on the cross or because of the work of Jesus on our cross. And so today, we're going to light the candle of hope. And we're reminded again from Scripture of the hope that Jesus brings to us. And so I read the words from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Our hope, friends, is, 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 is found and is abundant in the confident expression, expectation, rather, that the child who was born and that we celebrate in this season, just as he gave hope to the shepherds, will do it again in our lives. And he's going to do it for you. And he's going to do it for me. Conclude our time together here today. I want to encourage us to embrace hope once again in our lives. And so we're going to sing one last song. And as we do, I want to encourage us to meditate deeply. To embrace the amazing message that is given in this song and in this scripture. And to allow it to fill us with hope in a fresh way. For those of you who are online, I would encourage you right now, um, if you need prayer this morning, uh, our online host would love just to, uh, to pray for you. And so there's a button that you can click there. And as you click that button, it'll, it'll open a new page or a new area where you can uh, uh, confidentially and discreetly uh, have a time uh, of prayer with that host. And if you're here in person and you'd like to pray today, and just ask Jesus to fill you with hope, I'd be available at the front here after the service and in a socially distanced, safe, spacious, and sanitized way. Well, I would love to pray with you and encourage you. Uh, but wherever you're at today, would you stand? And can we join the worship team?
And let's sing and meditate on these words and be filled with hope.